0: Welcome to the Do One Better podcast, where every week I focus on philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi, and I hope you'll enjoy the podcast. Keep on listening if you want to improve the world. Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast. I am Alberto Ligi, your host from London, and as many of our regular listeners know, the purpose of the podcast is to inspire global listeners to be more philanthropic, to act more sustainably, and to embrace social entrepreneurship. If we succeed in any of those fronts, you make us very, very happy indeed. Please do subscribe to the podcast. If you look at your iPhone, there's probably a the little subscribe button, the same thing on your Android. If you do that, it helps our rankings, which means it gives us much broader and higher visibility. So when people are browsing for podcasts that are philanthropic, they will stumble onto us, and that would be great. I have um, Grant Gordon today. As our distinguished guest. Uh, I've known Grant for a little while but not terribly long. I think we met about a year, maybe a little bit longer than that, here in London at a, a philanthropy conference and we struck up a good rapport and stayed in touch and Grant is a philanthropist. So today we're going to talk a little bit about his foundation, uh, why he does what he does, uh, the things that he's passionate about and there's quite a few little very interesting areas that he's focused in that, um, that I think would be useful for for our global listeners to uh, to be aware of so grant first of all thank you very much for joining us today and a, and a warm welcome
1: I'm delighted to to talk to you today Alberta great to be on the podcast
0: ah great well it's been a little while since you and I last met so i'm uh, I'm happy that we're continuing the conversation tell me a little bit about about you who is Grant Gordon
1: yes I'd, I'd maybe like to I sometimes think of my career in sort of three stages. Um, the first part was working early on in marketing sales within the context of a family business, our family business. And in my mid forties, I left that and I sort of started, if you like, second part of my career, second career. Um, uh, and, and that's where I co-founded my first nonprofit venture, which was um, the Institute for Family Business. And it was really kind of during that time, during those times that I started to sort of first of all to see philanthropy but i was observing it a bit from a distance i could see what was going on within my own family uh, within our own family business indeed in terms of um, some of the some of the causes that were being supported um, in and around the business itself and so when i when i was uh, uh, lucky and able at the sort of in my mid 50s to um, to sort of um, make the next step in my career, which is when I retired from the um, from the Institute for Family Business and moved on from that, I really had a sort of blank canvas in front of me where I could um, focus on what I wanted to do uh, in terms of uh, philanthropy and and in terms of sort of social entrepreneurship more broadly, and so that's been my my that that's sort of where I've been coming from. And much of what I think uh, that uh, uh, what the issues that we touch on sort of really, they, they find their roots in my past, um, uh, in the past there, over the course of um, my career. And particularly in and around sort of causes that are really quite native to the United Kingdom and in particular around the sort of communities where either I've lived or our company has been involved in and, and does business in. And you're the chair of a
0: foundation, Recon Lane.
1: Yeah, that's right. So, so when when we, uh, we we reached a point, and I reached a point in my career that, um, as I, I said, um, in my mid fifties, um, that. Uh, was sort of working on building up my own portfolio. I sat down at the same time, sort of with my wife, and we decided that we would uh, we'd form a, a, a grant-making foundation. The, uh, we called it Reclaim Lane Foundation because that's really the sort of spiritual home of our family up in Scotland. And that was really we see that really as a sort of channel through which we can uh, we can we can uh, take decisions around where we're going to focus our efforts. But broadly speaking, what we are we're looking to do is we're looking to find causes that where we can support our support communities and we can sort of build social capital. Um, now, I know that sounds very broad, but I think we uh, as we start to sort of go into sort of some of the specifics that, that we've done and the organizations that I'm still involved in and the, the two in particular I chair and I, I founded, um, uh, where we grassroots level, we're actually working on on specific programs, and and so uh, what what the, the the foundation just helps us to sit down, and sit back from things, and sort of take a deep breath and consider whether what we're doing uh, makes sense, uh, and we can work with our independent trustee as well. Um, uh, Lucy Blythe, who uh, is a fountain of knowledge, but also a very good backstop in terms of maybe uh, getting us to hold back or, 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 you know, just be a bit more thoughtful in terms of how we're going about our giving.
0: Mm-hmm. Enrique Lane, if I'm not mistaken, you're you grant making every year, roughly speaking, one million dollars.
1: Yeah, so that, that that's right. We're we're very lucky and fortunate to to um, to have those resources, those financial resources that we've used and, and deployed. And primarily what we've, um, i sort of go into a little bit more of the the, the sort of the the detail is that we primarily we've been supporting two causes, uh, two main causes over the years. Um, And the first one maybe that uh, I I might draw out is is, um, child poverty. So. And, and the whole uh, the whole decision to focus on child poverty grew out of a, an earlier involvement I had back in my in my days. Uh, in, indeed, in the family business and, and running through my time at IFB as well, when I was chairman of a uh, I was first trustee and then chairman of one of the community foundations uh-huh. in London. That subsequently and, I'm, 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 you know, I think uh, we that subsequently became London Community Foundation. And um, and out of and through that sort of through that involvement, through working on uh, on local issues, I began to sort of see and, and sort of emerge this this clear picture around the issues around child poverty and how, how they were playing out in, in the UK, but particularly in the context of London. And that's what led me, together with a small group of friends, to set up what is today now the, 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 the Childhood Trust, which is supported by the Recon Lane Foundation.
0: Everything you do, philanthropically speaking, is it right to say that it's, uh, the focal point is Reek and Lane?
1: That's really, a, that's just a conduit for our work, really. That's just a, the sort of supporting mechanism. It's a grant-making foundation, if you like. But the, 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 the work on the ground, really, is taking place in um, both in the childhood, tr- well, in the case of the Childhood Trust, focusing on the issue of child of child poverty. And maybe I could touch a bit later on on the sure. work we do in Scotland around community regeneration. At the heart of what we're doing is um, around around child poverty. Is with the Childhood Trust is really working on a deep sort of a, a, you know a very deep issue uh, um, and an issue that's not going away. In fact, I would say it's uh, it's actually growing in terms of the, the magnitude of the problem and the issues because of the scale of um, of poverty, particularly in an urban context in the UK. Um, statistically, you know, something like 700,000 children who's alive, uh, who are officially, um, who would be regarded as um, being being viewed as uh, as being poor families or coming from poor families. So we 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 what we set about through through the trust, through the childhood trust, is to do two things. One is to uh, is to support small and medium-sized uh, uh, grant-making organisations, charities, I should say who are right there in the coalface, who are helping deliver practical, uh, emotional and inspirational support to to children. And on the other hand, and that's, uh, we will give them funding, we'll give them some funding to help them in their activities and also help them to, to raise more funds using match fundraising tools, but also the work we do around advocacy. So kind of trying to raise the raise awareness around around these issues so is that that in a in sort of nutshell is is what we've set about and what we do in um in the trust
0: how did you um first of all how did you get into philanthropy in the sense of possibly a family decision not just yours individually
1: i think all these things really are really go back to values and um and i think I was brought up in a way, um, coming from a privileged background, that you know, there's certain responsibilities that come with wealth, or we we, we have a phrase, you know, responsible ownership. Uh-huh. And so I think, in terms of our values, we felt we feel, you know, um, and I saw that, and particularly, I, I, I think my uncle was a great exemplar of um, of of kind of local philanthropy, and he there were particular causes that I knew he, you know, he, he indeed still feels very, very strongly about but, and supported. And sort of, so that's why I, I think uh, early on, I was sort of um, not dragged into it, but I felt as naturally that that's where, you know, we, if you know, if, if um, me personally, where I wanted to go in terms of, uh, in terms of giving back ourselves, and, and and that's something that my wife and, and you know, and family support. And so that would be, probably the main reason why I've ended up having a, a sort of clear focus around, around the communities that are around us or close to us geographically, you know, here at home in the UK or up in Scotland where we, where we live part time.
0: In your case, you had philanthropy around you, so it's a, a natural thing. What do you say to those who haven't had philanthropy in their surroundings but are maybe thinking about it and they're just time poor? They're thinking about it, contemplating about being philanthropic, but it's never the right day, it's never the right time. What would you like to say to those folks?
1: I think, you know, the social compact in our country, you know, is, is, under, is under pressure or uh, there are, there are the, the big sort of existential issues. There's the whole broad issue around, you know, what's the role of the state? And we've seen a retreat, if you like, I think, in, in our country in the last decade, under the sort of what people refer to as the austerity years of the state, you know, pulling back from supporting social causes in general, um, and and so there's that on the one hand, there's the whole broader issue, there's the broad issue of inequality, and so I think uh, I think you know, okay, you've got that in the background, but on the other hand, I would say, as far as you know, giving is concerned, I think people maybe. Um, can look at it as a way not only of, um, you know, addressing social issues, environmental issues, or more broadly, you know, I I look at this, you know, the sustainable development goals, you know, things Mm -hmm. like big questions like, you know, obviously for us, the key one is probably poverty, but there there are others too, like climate, you know, like uh, like education and so on. So I say to anybody that's, you know, is you know look around and see those issues and and find something that you you know that you care about and maybe it doesn't matter which one it is really, um, but find something where you can land and where you you know you feel a connection and so and, and 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 sort of and set about maybe you know that take that as a starting point to what you want to do, and so you know um, in my case I think kind of things maybe. Are easy and they they fall into place because we've kind of chosen our landing our landing place, which is largely but not exclusively
0: on the issue of poverty. So that's sort of you know SDG number one. If somebody's deciding how much to give, how much of their net wealth to give, there's some parameters that come to mind. On the very ultra high net worth, you have the giving pledge. Uh, people who have net assets of a billion and above, and they're they're saying yes, we're 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 going to give most of our wealth away. In our lifetime we're pledged to give it away. Then you have other parameters such as foundations who might be required to have a, a given percentage of their net assets as a payout rate every year. So you could have a 5% payout rate that's happening at the foundation level. And um, is that a question aligned with how long is a piece of string or are there certain frameworks and benchmarks that you have found useful when determining how much to, to give?
1: I think it's it's such an important question to be asking. I do think that it's, um, you know, deep down it goes back to what your values are and it's something that um, I think is a discussion which is in the context of, is a good discussion to have in the context of your family. I think it's something that uh, we can you can can be taught you know can be looked at and should be um and i think you know certainly you know in my case i'm married uh, you know with a wife but also with our children all grown up and i think so we we it's a it's a conversation that is ongoing in our family as to you know what constitutes you know uh responsible you know what what to be a responsible citizen if you like what does that mean in terms of giving back yes we are wealthy so we want to give back but at what level um i I think just having that conversation is the starting point but i don't believe in in any sort of uh you know a fixed benchmark or you know or yeah or necessarily you know you feel feel obliged to sort of take some sort of pledge i think it's 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 in the action you take as an individual that I think you know, we can be judged
0: you know, um, accordingly. Yeah. You have these family conversations entirely as family conversations. Do you ever avail yourself of a peer network or, or advisory services? Or I'm curious again, what, what are the options for a family, a high net worth family considering philanthropy? How do they start that conversation? How do they inform that conversation?
1: there's two answers to that one is at a personal level i'm very lucky to to um lucky to belong to a couple of networks uh, which are which are a good place to go and have sort of one-on-one conversations or group conversations Uh, for me as an individual the philanthropy workshop is one of them and that's partly what led me to the second one which is the beacon collaborative because um, my friend and uh uh, and, and chair of the Beacon Collaborative, um, uh, Matthew Bocock. You know, he's also a Philanthropy Workshop member. So, sort of, you know, there's, it's it's useful to have that sort of peer, those peers in philanthropy, uh, we can talk to. Mm-hmm. But I think at the same time, and now I'm talking more for my family. I think we 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 do believe in in um, in, in sort of helping to facilitate a discussion. Uh, uh, um, we, we're actually about to engage in a new discussion now around these issues about you know what constitutes responsible stewardship of wealth. and um, and and certainly, you know to for that sort of exercise, I would always reach out to a third party, to somebody to help facilitate it so that you can, you know you can really um, in, in ensure that you know you really draw those discussions out in a really sort of constructive way and um and everybody's voice can be heard so so i'm i'm I, I think that um and there are those you know there are certainly many professionals out there who who are able to help people such as us and and who can bring in and share with you examples of other you know successful philanthropy maybe in in, in the sort of family
0: context really interesting the uh the intergenerational element, what are some of those more? marked differences between you and the next generation? Are they differences in terms of thematic areas that you want to support? Are they differences in terms of the approach to philanthropy, strategic philanthropy, checkbook philanthropy, impact investing? There's just so many different approaches that that you can look at. What would you say are those intergenerational contrasts?
1: Well, for sure, I think starting off um, to to. In looking next generation, maybe my, my, my own, our own children, our daughters also, sort of, you know, grown up sort of in their 30s. So I'd say the around the thematic issues, mm-hmm. um, I think they, they maybe see more urgency around, uh, again, going back to the, you know, the SDGs. Uh, they certainly, you know, look at environment and climate action as being, you know, an area that's you're really not sort of given the attention that it deserves. And then sort of issues maybe around uh, uh, sort of reduced inequality as well. That, that those sort of two things. So, you know, what kind of what's the future of the planet going to be like,
0: and uh, the the future of our society? So, sorry, is the next generation very involved in the uh, in the foundation in the thematic areas that it supports? Uh, how are you envisioning that transition from you to your kids? And and do you envision the foundation being there in perpetuity? Or have you made a conscious decision to have it spend down during your lifetime? Or how are you looking at that sort of time horizon world?
1: One part of it is I think to the extent that um, the foundation inherited uh, these, these sort of legacy charities, if I could call them, legacy organizations, Childhood Trust, and the Cabra Trust, which is... Uh, which is this Community Regeneration Project, which is sort of uh, 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 we're, we're hoping is going to come to to, li- to to life in the northeast of Scotland. These two projects, you know, uh, it's felt that at the moment there, we've just got to let them sort of play through. And the next generation, as I sort of alluded to before, they've got different interests. So I think uh, the challenge is how do we, uh, our challenges uh, as as many families as probably, so how can you embrace what they want to do and what they think is important and, and and provide them the freedom to do that. And I think so. I think that's unfinished business in our family. Uh, and we, we're, we're going to work on that, you know, because uh, just because we have ideas of our own uh, in terms of my generation, what we want to do and what we're already doing. And, you know, they we have to I think uh, it's it's not really, you know, giving full justice to, you know, a not just, you know, everybody's passion, but also to really the responsibility. If I come back to that, you know, of how we're going to, you know, how we're going to, Use our wealth in in a way that's sort of uh, that's responsible and is going to address you know some of these big issues. So uh, even if you know in, in, in sort of global in sort of overall terms we're we're a small relatively small grant maker, but yeah, we want to do the very best with what we've got.
0: Now your foundation does not take unsolicited funding applications, correct? Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think uh, we don't tell me about why, why that is and and what do you. Um... How proactive are you in, in identifying then those funding opportunities? Because, it, you know, granting out a million dollars a year is not a small feat. So you, you know, you have to pay attention. So tell me about your decision not to take on solicited applications, which is not unique. I mean, there are many foundations who take that approach. And then also your approach to identifying, not just thematically, but those delivery partners.
1: I think... Uh very conscious that it's so uh that we don't want to waste uh, time and effort on behalf of um, you know grantees or prospective grantees so by saying you know that by 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 sort of stating that as your policy i think it i think it just helps in terms of uh uh, uh you know uh, in terms of creating that sort of um uh barrier if you like in terms of um you know in, in terms of that 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 policy uh but but as to the question of how you then how you then sort of uh, how we would go about this sort of evaluating new programs i think one of the things we would i would say is that um i, I can sort of probably give you a concrete example is um we were involved sort of um in a uh, in a landscape, we, we we set out a year ago uh, to uh, to look at the landscape of early years of funding. Correct. Um, to understand what was uh, going on in that space, um, in order to start thinking in our own minds, you know how we could potentially go about uh, what, what what we might look at uh, in terms of intervention. So so where practically what we did there is we went to New Philanthropy Capital. Mm-hmm. To, uh, as UK listeners will know, it is a very well-regarded um, sort of research uh, uh, organisation um, uh, and, and support grant makers in the UK, and 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 they they prepared a report which is published last November um, uh, around sort of uh, that 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 whole uh, arena of early years funding, and so that's kind of started to uh, to trigger. Uh, it's in the public domain that report now, and it start it's it's helped sort of trigger some thinking, uh, it's still early stage, but there is a, there's a sort of framework there that we can look at, and we can start thinking better about, you know, if we want to go into that area, which I think we will we, we'll be, you know, progressively looking at how we, how we could, um, where we might want to sort of um, put our effort, and then what maybe potentially looking to new grantees, although we haven't done that yet at this stage.
0: The early years is, as you know, it's very close to my heart. The neuroscientific arguments, the economic arguments, very, very robust for investing in early years and the difference that can make to uh, children's um, expected life outcomes. Criminality rates, income rates, uh, high school completion rates, divorce rates, there's just a lot lot to be said for what happens in the early years and how, how things shape up later on. Plus also the intergenerational transfer of poverty and very interesting area for me, and so I, I really, I really hope that you uh, you take the plunge for that.
1: Well, I hope so. I mean, I th- will, we'll, um, uh, and 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 I think that the beauty of, uh, you know, in, in through that approach, through the through the work of sort of working with that sort of independent party, we sort of managed to put the word out there. So, so we we it's helped to open up some conversations with other funders. Mm-hmm. Uh, how they're looking at this issue, what their thoughts are around it, what they think the priorities should be. So I think that you know that for me, that sort of music to my ears. That wanting to have more discussions with other with other people who are looking at that issue, and potentially looking to how you know you could join some of that up maybe through some sort of collaborative work. Um, so that 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 might be um, you know something emerged in in, in that mm-hmm. way. I think you could you could see that, you know, even as a as a sort of not a particularly large uh, organization, but, you know, an organization with some resources, that those resources could perhaps be put to greater effect if uh, if you could work, you know, if you could find a way to work with other other like-minded
0: um, foundations and, and uh, grant makers. Do you do much by way of matched giving or, or getting involved with other philanthropists and saying, okay, yeah, we're going to tackle that specific uh Issue uh, or or program, and we're we're going to do it jointly. Well, absolutely. I mean, but but in that context, uh,
1: that that the whole strategy um, in the Childhood Trust is to has been to to uh, to work uh, um, with match match giving model. Mm-hmm. So the money that we have, uh, the programs that we've supported um, in the Childhood Trust, uh, largely are, if uh, should be viewed as sort of key money. Uh, to help um, charities um, provide them with a money that they can then use to go out and um, and uh, and leverage that money uh, through fundraising programs where they other donors can have their their, their funding effectively doubled so so we we're, we're 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 very keen on on that whole you know the, the whole t- the tool of match fundraising uh, some will argue that it's just pulling funding from one area to another but I would say that, you know, we, you know, it's our job to make sure that, you know, and certainly in terms of poverty and child poverty, that we can do our best for those organizations and help them and strengthen, make them more sustainable to deliver their programs. So it, it's a very powerful tool and it works. Um, we, we, see, we see it as being, um, as being uh, a good way of working and has served the charities well, the charities that we work with.
0: Now, you have a commercial background. Uh, not just philanthropy, but also in the commercial space, how much of that expertise is deployed in the philanthropic work?
1: One thing that I uh, think is common to all sort of um, endeavours of, of this the sort of nature is um, is the importance of clarity around mission, and also and the importance of the issue of leadership. So what I mean by that is I think, you know, uh, in if you take that into the context of a, of a nonprofit, of a charity, I think as far as the trustees are concerned, you know, those are responsible really for, you know, for that organization is that, you know, getting heads together and getting those people uh, who are in your boardroom, you know, if you're the chair or you're just one of the trustees, making sure that people are aligned in terms of where that organization is is going, where it wants to go and uh, uh so so that that clarity is important because there'll be big decisions there'll be decisions you have to make and you've got to have a sort of you know you've got to have a bit of a lodestar in terms of you know how you're going to decide whether what you're going to do is right or wrong in terms of you know what what is the mission of that organization what it's trying to deliver on the one hand and the other and i think this is the biggest role of the chair uh, arguably is the question of leadership and uh, uh and uh, and so there it's really uh, getting to the point where you've got you know, you're really confident that you have the right person who is in that role of, you know, charity leader, chief executive, as, as they usually referred to and uh, or executive director and that, that that person, you know, him or her, you know, whoever they are. That they've got the not just the not just the passion, but they've got the skill and the resilience, you know, to to go out and do the job, and then to lead their their team in turn, you know, as the organisation grows and then, you know it, it sort of brings in staff and volunteers and so on. So I think um, that that has uh, I have um, I, I I I would say that that is. Whether you're in the world of business or whether you're in the world of nonprofit, I think those are just common issues. So they're about you know organizational success and how can you deliver that.
0: And um, entrepreneurial ventures that are more than just for profit, not shying away from having profitability, but that are are social enterprises. Do you see that much in the um, in the discourse amongst your peer network?
1: I sense that that is becoming much more. Uh, I mean, it's already embedded into the world of a non-profit charity in the UK. Many, particularly the larger charities, they've got sort of trading arms and so on. And they, you know, so they have businesses uh, uh, that, that, you know, and they, they see, you know, trading income as an important part. But in, in what I do as well and what we do in our organizations, we're um, we we uh, we're trying to, we're, 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 we're one, one area that we were quite ambitious on is, is, um, uh, we have looked um, we're looking now at the school for social enterprise at their at their trade up program and that's a program that's about changing culture okay. within non-profit organizations and getting them to think more about uh, less as a grant-locked organization and more as a trading more in a commercial sort of trading mindset and that's a cultural change and uh, so um, so and they they're doing that very successfully around the UK with their match uh, match uh, grant program i believe Lloyds bank has been supporting that so we we're, we're going to trial that in uh, with our portfolio of um, of charities in london um, um, with hopefully a dozen of them or t- 10 or so of them getting into that where where they're already where they can see where those organisations can see an, a, a way towards sort of trading so and that will just give them broader shoulders. It will give them, hopefully, uh, where it works, and we hope it will work. Give them, um, you know, give them uh, another leg to their stool in terms of sustainability. You know, make mm. them,
0: make make them more robust uh, uh, as as organizations. Yeah. What's been the biggest challenge that you've faced, or or maybe that's a challenge you're facing now? But as you've uh, embarked on this philanthropic journey, what has been that one thing that actually maybe you didn't foresee it, but it, it hasn't been as easy as you thought.
1: Well, I still believe that the, the challenge that we face broadly is the challenge around, you know, the scale and uh, of the, the sort of the, the, the social issues that we face in our country. I believe that there are many other, you know, there's a lot of things that have sort of captured people's uh, minds and attention and and, you know, very sadly i mean it's only we see when there's a big disaster like two years ago there's the tragedy of grenfell tower and that sort of you know you know there's an outpouring of huge generosity enormous amount of resource uh uh you know you know people just reaching into their pockets to help out with those families that were you know that were you know their lives were you know thrown into complete disarray because of that 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 awful loss of life um but i think when these things fade away and, and life sort of goes back to normal I think there's the, the, the issue that we don't really perhaps perceive how challenging life is for those at the bottom of the pyramid as I call it, I'm borrowing the phrase um, uh, the phrase um, from Paul Collier, um, um, the Oxford uh, academic and, and former chief economist of the World Bank you know, who's written a book about this and he talks about the developing world but we have a bottom, we have the bottom of the pyramid here. So I, I think if we can give a voice to those people, I think uh, it's not easy, but that's what um, I'd like to think, you know, we can do, help do as a funder. We can help sort of raise awareness around the challenges that these families face, um, and particularly for their children. So I'd like to think
0: that we can maybe move the dial a bit there. Great. Right. What's the best way of getting a hold of you, somebody who wanted to continue the conversation somehow?
1: I'd be delighted to, to, uh, to, to uh, speak or, or have contact with your listeners. Um, and uh, Alberto, the, the best way is um, I'm on Twitter and, uh, and LinkedIn. You know, either one of those um, you know, is, um, is a good way to you know, pick up a conversation.
0: Perfect. And for our listeners, as, as our regular listeners would know, we have episode notes. So we'll have the, um, a recap of today's conversation, and we'll also make sure that we include relevant links and also links uh, to the social media channels. And that's all available at lidji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I.org. So we'll make sure that we'll connect everything uh, in a nice tight little package for everybody. Let me ask you if our listeners forgot everything we just spoke about for the last uh, 30 minutes, except for one thing. What is the key takeaway you want them to walk away with?
1: I think that as a philanthropist, never regard yourself as being on your own. There are networks, there are groups out there, there are people who who are very happy and want to share their experiences. So I'd say, you know, go out, talk to people, talk to others, talk to other funders, have those conversations and uh, I think that can be really inspiring and uh, can, you know, lead one on to hopefully greater things.
0: Indeed. Indeed. Well said. I thank you very much for sharing your insight and, uh, and some of the experiences with our listeners. I think it's very, very useful indeed. And for our listeners, do reach out to Grant if you have any questions or any points that you'd like to uh, to continue. Also, please do subscribe to the podcast. As I mentioned before, it makes a world of difference. And it helps others find the show. So please do that. And grant a heartfelt uh, uh, thank you for, for, for being with us this, uh, this afternoon. It's been, uh, it's been uh, enlightening.
1: Alberto, it's a great pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for listening to the Do One Better podcast. If you want to find out more about our show, about our guests, additional links and resources, visit our website at lyji.org. That's L I D J I dot org. And don't forget, success at the Do One Better podcast is about inspiring you to be more philanthropic, to think more about sustainability, and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Hopefully, these stories will encourage you to take action and change the world around you for the better.